Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This guy is a machine. All he does is work out and pick winners. Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. Oregon's down by 12. They're on a 45-yard line with no timeouts. Oregon's got an All-American field goal kicker. Why didn't somebody tell me? Chicago Sports Betting Show. Touchdown, Ohio State. There are some folks who are celebrating and others who are saying, you've got to be kidding. You kind of know what I'm thinking about. Over or under? Under would be the key word. Hello? Bet with an edge. He'd find out the kind of inside stuff nobody else knew, and that's what he put his money on. He even figured out the different bounce you got off the different kinds of wood they used on college basketball courts, you know? Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. A friend of mine is very smart, said I've been very lucky with gambling. I've never won. Saturday mornings on 670 The Score and the Radio.com app. What isn't going on in this sports betting world? March Madness almost down to four teams. Cubs and Sox play games number two on the season today. Bears minus three and a half against the Packers for the season opener. NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, the Masters all right around the corner. And there was a big sports betting hearing in Springfield on Thursday. We'll get some details on that whole process. But first, Eli Herskovich of 670 The Score and the Action Network joins me. The four games over the next two days will decide which four teams will punch their tickets into the Final Four. Eli, we have some great matchups. 1-3, 1-3, 2-5, and a 1 and a 2. How do you feel going into the Elite Eight? They're going to be some tremendous uh, games, Joe. You think about Michigan State-Duke. To cap off the Elite Eight, the blue blood, the purest blue blood in college basketball. Sure, there's some cheating going on there with Coach Dave, but no one wants to talk about it. And then Michigan State, uh, Tom Izzo, 1-11 lifetime against Duke. So you have that matchup. Texas Tech, an up-and-coming coach. Uh, and Chris Beard against Mark Few and Gonzaga. And then two coaches and Tony Bennett and Matt Painter. that have, have had tremendous coaching careers, but have never made the Final Four. So they're matching up in the, in the latter matchup on Saturday. And then you have Auburn, Kentucky in the first matchup on Sunday. Bruce Pearl and company and the Tigers getting to the Elite Eight. And John Calipari in Kentucky surviving a scare against Houston in that last game on Friday. All right, let's go chronological order. Later on this afternoon, 5.09, they tip in the West region. Gonzaga cruised past Florida State. So we have the Zags. Going up against that tough Chris Beard defense, the three-seed Texas Tech. Gonzaga favored by four. The total is 137. The great offense with the Zags pitted against the great defense with the Red Raiders. The highest adjusted offensive efficiency in college basketball. That's what Mark Few has assembled with Gonzaga in the Northwest. And then you have Texas Tech. The, the lowest adjusted defensive efficiency in college basketball, when I say lowest, 
84.3 opponents' points per possession, good for the number one rated adjusted D in the country. So the matchups for me when you break down this game for Texas Tech defensively, one of the best interior defenses in college basketball, and this Gonzaga team has the 36th highest two-point scoring rate in the country. So they want to bury you down low with Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark, and they also want to get on transition with Josh Perkins and also get Clark around the rim, get some alley-oops with their fast break opportunities. To protect this tech, to be able to succeed in the half court, they have to execute in the half court on the other end because you have to be able to limit Gonzaga's transition opportunities. And Texas Tech has an offensive advantage. Gonzaga's given up the 34th highest two-point scoring rate in the country, and that's where Texas Tech thrives with Jared Culver off the dribble drive. I don't think people understand how good Jared Culver has been through these first three tournament games for Texas Tech. 22.3 points per game, 7.3 rebounds a game, and 5.3 assists per game. That's Larry Bird-like numbers at Indiana State. That's Magic Johnson-like numbers at Michigan State when those two teams went head-to-head back in the 1979 NCAA tournament. Jared Culver has been arguably the second most valuable player in March Madness to Zion Williamson. Texas Tech, I like them against the spread, getting the four points, and I don't mind taking the money line as well. I have Texas Tech getting to the Final Four in my bracket. I'm going to be really torn, Eli, later today because I've got a future on Texas Tech. I'm going to win a bracket if Gonzaga wins, but I would definitely lean with Texas Tech getting those four points. And then later tonight, our primetime matchup, a one and a three in the South, Virginia. They survived the 12 seed Oregon going up against Purdue, who outscored Tennessee in OT. The Cavaliers are favored by four and a half, total 126. Yeah, I think the, the matchup here comes down to Virginia's three-point shooting against Purdue's shaky perimeter defense. Virginia has the 89th highest three-point scoring rate in the country, and Purdue's given up the 43rd highest uh, three-point scoring rate in college basketball. So the key for Virginia is can Kyle Guy get going from behind the arc? Only made three threes so far in Virginia's three NCAA tournament games. But the key for, for the Hoos offensively is Guy likely won't be matched up against Purdue's best perimeter defender in Nogel Eastern. I expect Nogel Eastern to match up against one of uh, the other Virginia guards in Ty Jerome, who is a little bit more sized and one of Virginia's key ball handlers. So for Guy to be able to get going off ball screens, things like that, I think he's able to execute from the perimeter. And again, Purdue's as a leaky uh, three-point defense. So whether it's Kyle Guy or even DeAndre Hunter in the pick and roll, their NBA prospect, I think they're able to make Purdue pay from behind the arc. And at the other end, Virginia's three-point defense, it's a little bit above average. So they might give up some threes to Purdue. But we saw Purdue against Tennessee. Ryan Klein got really hot. I expect Purdue's three-point shooting luck, I guess you could say, to run out uh, going into this Elite Eight matchup. While they are a really good three-point shooting team, we're talking about the 21st highest three-point scoring rate in the country. I think Virginia's defense, their pack line defense, is able to stymie them, and Virginia's offense is able to execute just enough to cover the four-and-a-half points and win outright. Yeah, we're on the same wavelength as far as the handicap on this game goes. How much longer can this Purdue shooting continue? Sometimes it'll go for a few games, sometimes, but uh, I agree with you. I think their luck runs out here. I would lean toward the Cavaliers minus four-and-a-half, even though you don't like laying that many points with Virginia at this point in the tournament. Let's roll on to Sunday. Okay, isn't as chalky in the Midwest region. We have a a two-and-a-five. Kentucky hung on against Houston with P.J. Washington. And then your Auburn Tigers 
absolutely smoked North Carolina, the only one seed to be bounced so far. We have Kentucky minus two and a half, a total of 144. I like Auburn getting the points here, getting the two and a half points. The key in this matchup, though, is Okiki, Auburn's best big. We saw him put up 20 points, 11 rebounds, exited with the knee injury, likely out for this matchup. It's, it should be a serious knee injury for the Auburn big. But that doesn't change a lot when you look at X's nose in this Elite Eight contest because Kentucky's perimeter defense, similar to Purdue, is pretty shaky. They've given up the 59th highest scoring rate from beyond the arc. And that's where Auburn lives, the sixth highest three-point scoring rate in the country. So while Auburn is going to have to control the tempo in this game, we saw what they were able to do to UNC offensively. I'm talking about Auburn's defense. They were able to create a lot of havoc. They produced the highest turnover rate in the country, a 25% opponent's turnover rate. And that's by Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, just their ball hawks around the perimeter. And Kentucky has a really youthful backcourt with Higgins and Hero while they came up big down the stretch in that game against Houston in the Sweet 16. I expect Auburn's defense to create some havoc for that Kentucky offense, control the tempo, get Harper and Bryce Brown going from beyond the arc. Uh, we saw also what Purifoy does for that team off the bench, coming up with three big threes in that second half, 12 points overall. Dunbar with some big shots as well. And going back to Harper for a second, nine points in that game sat out for much of that first half against UNC with two fouls, but 11 assists. His ball distribution goes more underrated than it should. I expect him to play a similar role, not force the shots, similar to what he did against UNC and create. And also McCormick off the bench is a big key because he was able to to limit what UNC was able to do in the first half uh, because he was able to spell Harper when Harper was on the bench of those two fouls. I think Auburn gets it done even without Okiki. P.J. Washington going to start? I would think so going into this matchup, but Calipari might say, let's bring him off the bench, let's get the energy off the bench. You would think after what he did last night against Houston that he would have started that game because he looked nearly 100% healthy in that matchup. Yeah, I wonder how he's going to bounce back. I also like the Auburn side here. And let's go to the East region. It's our only 1-2 matchup, Eli. What most people should have had in the Elite Eight, number one Duke, Number two, Michigan State. Duke, another close call. A one-footer almost did them in for the second consecutive game. Sparty handled LSU. Duke is favored by only two, Eli, with the total at 148. Grab the money line. Wherever you shop around, get that Michigan State money line. And the key for me in this matchup is on the glass and down low. Duke is one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the country, believe it or not, even with an elite athlete in Zion Williamson on the floor. We're talking about a below-average defensive rebounding rate, and Michigan State with the 21st highest offensive rebounding rate in the country. They got a scare on Friday against LSU, not matchup-wise, not score-wise, but Nick Ward hitting the deck hard in the second half, landing on that left hand, which is where he had the hairline fracture going into the latter part of Big Ten play for Michigan State, but he looks to have survived the scare, and he... Uh, mentioned post game that he will be playing against Duke. So the matchups for me come down. The key ones are down low with Tillman, Ward, and Goins being able to control the paint and control the glass. Duke has given up the 22nd highest two point scoring rate in college basketball. Again, that's with Zion in the lineup, not even without Zion when he was out during that stretch. 
And Michigan State lives off that offensive glass. Expect Tillman and Ward to have a big game down low off offensive rebounds. They killed LSU in that department on Friday. And you think about the other end of the floor for Duke. They rely on their inside game, the 21st highest two-point scoring rate in college basketball. But Michigan State has given up the second-lowest two-point clip in the country at 41.5%. I expect Xavier Tillman to shut Zion down. Yes, I said shut Come Zion on. down. Stop. Half court. You're, you're letting that Duke hate cloud your judgment. Xavier Tillman is one of the best one-on-one defenders in college basketball. It's and fine. he didn't get the chance to show it until Nick Ward went out with that hairline fracture. I know it's I to say, but Duke's offense runs through the paint with Zion and Barrett off the dribble drive. I know Trey Jones hit some threes against Virginia Tech, but that's where they live. I expect Xavier Tillman to give Zion Williamson hell down low, and their elite uh, two-point defense is going to, to give Duke all the problems in the world. Duke's luck runs out in this elite eight matchup. Take Michigan State on the money line. Sparty's going to the Final Four. Oh, I can't wait for this one. doesn't get any better than Coach K up against Izzo in the Elite Eight, what many of us expected coming to fruition uh, to wrap it up in for the final spot in the Final Four. I, I do like Sparty. I'm with you on that one, Eli. Eli, great stuff as always. Uh, good luck to you today and tomorrow. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate having me on. That's Eli Hershkovich of the Score and the Action Network. And you may have heard there are some changes to the Score's daily lineup. I host in the evening when the Cubs don't have a game at 6 or 7 o'clock. So last night on the show, State Rep Mike Zalewski joined me following Thursday's hearing and explained the five amendments to his sports betting bill. Yeah, Bob Rita filed amendment number five on Tuesday. Uh, That's effectively the proposal from Rivers Casino, which is located in the Plains. That bill is very, very similar to New Jersey in a lot of ways. It changes the licensing fee to give them a little bit of a nicer licensing fee structure than what we offer. Uh, but what it does do is it says that DraftKings and FanDuel, because of their operations as daily fantasy sports operators, can't participate in the market. Mr. Bloom is adamant that he thinks they'll have a competitive advantage over bricks and mortar casinos, so he, we want to have that dialogue. I think that uh, we'll, we'll continue to monitor it and see where my colleagues land on it and uh, go from there. All right, just to catch the listeners up to speed, uh, let's talk about those first four amendments, just some of the options that are being discussed right now. Let's talk about the New Jersey amendment. What would that entail? New Jersey is, I think, what most people would expect sports betting in Illinois to look like. Each casino and each racetrack and each OTB would have a physical bricks-and-mortar sports book. They also would be allowed two skins. Skin is a, a term of art in the gambling world for a mobile platform to hook up with them, and you would be allowed to bet on your phone or your uh, device from the comfort of your own home. We estimate $10 million in licensing fees, and the skin license fees have a certain structure too, so it would bring in a decent amount of money up front, and then the tax rate would be based on how much money the casinos and the racetracks made an income every year. Okay, so yes, mobile would be involved there, and uh, uh, mobile is huge for you non-sports bettors. In New Jersey, it accounts for 80% of the revenue so far. So now we move on to Mississippi. What are the details there? Mississippi is slightly different than New Jersey. Mississippi has a what we call a tethering option. Um, to your point a minute ago about mobile operating, it's, it's very successful in New Jersey. However, 
There are many colleagues of mine um, who are very nervous about a mobile platform, at least initially. They think, you know, what we're sort of discerning in the conversations we're having is, well, maybe we start out with bricks and mortar and get people registering at a casino, making sure they're a live person, making sure they're 21, making sure they're not overdoing their credit card. And then we give a, a longer look at mobile down the line. So we, we put the provision in Representative Katie Stewart's bill to um, consider that as an option. I know it causes some people some discomfort, but we want to have the conversation now so we're not having it later. One quick thing about Katie Stewart's bill, it also has uh, a provision for the racetracks. It says that they have to use sports betting revenue for purses at racetracks. It's a big deal in southern Illinois. They want horse racing to come back. It's huge for our agricultural economy. That's another provision of that bill that uh, is important. I know in New York, Governor Cuomo has voiced some of the same concerns about mobile, but it seems to me that the number one priority in the state of Illinois is about revenue. If that's the case, I don't see how Mississippi works. Yeah. Well, Joe, though, if if we're having a conversation about revenue, then then we we probably need to zero in on the the Fourth Amendment, which would be the lottery, because under any scenario, Joe, the lottery has the potential to produce the most revenue. It has the most existing footprint in the state of Illinois. I read your tweet last week when I introduced them about, like, going to the store and getting (laughs) two Twinkies and, oh, by the way, give me, you know. The Bears minus three. Give me the Bears minus four. Um, They have the most footprint existing infrastructure in the state. And here's the important part. We can tax it based on handle, not necessarily based on what we call adjusted gross revenue. The witness at the hearing on Thursday said, in Delaware, it's the difference between per $100 bet, $0.75 at a bricks-and-mortar casino versus in a lottery system. For every $100 bet, the state gets $10. That's a massive difference that we, as lawmakers, have to consider. So. It can't just be about revenue. It's a huge part of the conversation. It's what the governor wants us to focus on. But if it's just about revenue, then um, the platforms take a backseat to sort of uh, permutations that people are going to be like, "Eh, I don't really like that idea. So that's why we're having all these conversations. We're trying to draw in as many opinions as we can and sort out what makes sense and what doesn't. So and this lottery system is being used in some smaller states like Delaware and Rhode Island right now. So something important to keep in mind that this would generate the most amount of revenue for the state. What would it look like? That's what people want to know. What would it be? Um, you wouldn't go someplace like the racetrack and bet on games there, or you wouldn't go there to set up a mobile app. This would be through kiosks uh, throughout the state, correct? Correct. Um, it, and it's important to note, Europe does it this way too. You know, Europe has a very mature sports betting market. So, you would go anywhere that a, a concessionaire of lottery games would would be able to put a kiosk, and we could scale it to as as big as every single Seven Eleven, or we could be a little more judicious and and, and scale it down. I, I actually tend to think that the lottery would would want to um, have you know some oversight over that and try to manage it appropriately. But yeah, it's definitely something that people have considered in the past, and and we put it out there for discussion purposes. How do you feel about a monopoly like that? I think the lottery option has its definite ups and its definite downs. I think, you know, New Jersey, I'm told, has a, a hybrid approach. Now, someone told me yesterday that's not true, so I, I want to be careful what I 
what I say, but I was told originally New Jersey has a hybrid approach. They have a bricks and mortar mobile platform, and then they have a limited lottery platform where you can do parlay cards. So we're we're open all suggestions. We're we're trying to bring just the right recipe to to make this work. We have to get sixty votes in the House and thirty votes in the Senate. We have to get the governor to sign the bill. So it's a lot of pull, push and pull to get this right. Joe Ostrowski on Sports Radio six seventy. The score speaking with State Rep Mike Zalewski on Sports Radio six seventy. The score. We just went in detail about the New Jersey model, Mississippi, the lottery, and then there's also the leagues. The uh, explain that to us. That model is, is actually drilling down. It, it has a lot of the things that we talked about already. It has a bricks and mortar presence. It has a mobile platform presence. Um, there's a provision that I'm stunned the lack of people talking about. It allows for books at the stadiums. Um, we put that in as a discussion piece um, based on... Not, not outside, um, actually in the stadiums. Well, uh, in proximity to the stadium. Okay. It, it, was, it was a request of certain stakeholders to have that option be considered. So it, it also has the uh, quote-unquote royalty fee. It has the use of official league data um, required. That bill itself been talked about, I think, ad nauseum on a national level. I think here in Illinois, the teams wrote me a letter on Thursday supporting it, with the exception of the Bears. The Bears didn't sign it, but the others did. So, you know, we're taking it seriously. We want to give them their chance to to make their case. Dan Spillane was in town. You know, whenever you get an NBA executive in town, in Springfield, Illinois, chances are they're taking it pretty seriously. So uh, we gave them the opportunity to be heard, and I thought that it was a good faith dialogue about what their role in this process looks like. So you said the lottery system would generate the most amount of revenue for the state up front. In your opinion, which option would generate the second most? Probably, uh, I lump New Jersey and um, the league's model in the, in the same bucket because I think that the licensing fees are the same and the skins fees would be the same in either model. The, the Mississippi model by far would generate the least only because yes. of that tethering option. So it's kind of lottery if we did it full tilt, New Jersey slash um, leagues, and then Mississippi last. Thanks to State Rep Mike Zalewski and Eli Hershkovich for coming on Early Odds. If you missed any episode, they're all posted on 670 The Score and the Radio.com app. I also tweet them at Joe0670. Inside the Clubhouse is next. I'm back on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock right here on 670 The Score. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.